My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. When we think of our life with the Messiah, what, what comes to mind? Well, we should recognize that he is, he is our life. Without him, you know, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We have the foretaste of, of the blessings. We have fellowship. We have just the joy, the, a heart that loves the scripture. All because of Messiah? What's that? All because of Messiah? All because of Messiah. Yeshua, Messiah, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, yo. Wednesday, August 28th, 2019. This is Messiah Matters number 271. Ready to, ready to backpack through Europe with three children. My name is Caleb Hag. Yeah. Caleb's looking forward. I'm looking backward a year. I had just got back from my Trinidad trip. Oh, yeah, huh. And uh, remembering the friends I met there and thinking I got to reach out, say hi, see how they're doing. So for those from Trinidad, Shalom. It's been a year. So before we came came on, somebody in the chat room, Dana, said, are y'all from Tacoma? Well, no. I'm from Tacoma. Rob's in Spokane. Everybody in the chat room is from all over the place. we got people from representing all four corners of the earth. Caleb and I are Washingtonians. We are Washingtonians. And then then the person said, "Uh, is there a church in Tacoma? I said, yeah, there's tons of them. Tacoma's 250 thousand people strong and then they said but one that te- but one that teaches like you yeah there's tons of them <laughs> i think that i think that the tacoma i would say tons i think that the tacoma seattle area has pr- the biggest concentration of uh messianic and torah observant congregations that more than any place in the united states i would i believe that hmm we got two groups down in Olympia. There's uh, within within a two mile radius from my house. There's three communities that teach one law of theology. Wow, and there might be more. So, I mean, my dad teaches at Beit Hillel. That's you know that's in University Place. There's uh, there's another group right down the street from me. There's another group. I mean, I teach out of my, I teach a group out of my house. There's, yeah, we got tons of them. They're everywhere. Caleb lives in a church. That's right. That's right. In more ways than one. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome to, uh, you know, Messiah Matters. I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. Looks like we got a good showing already, which uh, is always exciting. And we got a lot to talk about today. I suppose we should just jump right in. Uh, but are we, well, wait, are we going to do our question section? Are we going to say like, okay, we're going to have a segment where we pause and we go, okay, if you have a question now, we're going to look at, or, or maybe we'll, we'll let people, we'll do that. We'll do a test run where we'll do that when you jump into the chat room. Okay. Cause that we're way, in other words, it. the temptation would be to, to scroll through the conversation, but. 
I, because that's if you have burning questions rabbit for, trail. If you have burning questions for Rob, hold them until I tell him to go into the chat room. Yeah, there we go. That's a good. There we go. Okay. But we probably make a specific segment at some point down the road. <laughs> Next week we're going to be off. Now we came back. We were going to take all of August off. And we came back, and we uh, we were going to uh, we came back in the middle of August. The reason we did that was because we wanted we knew that we were going to take time off in September, and yep. uh, and so we wanted to not shortchange people even more. So here we are. Um, with that said, think about this: we would be at family camp right now if we hadn't have uh, hadn't had uh, you know. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. we'd be. New- this would be a family camp week. That's right, because last year I was not at family camp because I was in Trinidad. They they were at the same time. So, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Okay. Um, it's well, a new world. It's a it's, new yeah. creation. There you go. Anyway, so we're off next week. Rob's going to take his lovely wife on a, a little road trip for their anniversary. What year is it? 25. Good gracious, you're old. And strong. Yeah, I feel old. I yeah. feel I actually... I have some gray coming in. I should we speaking and, of and old. He, I've got some gray here. Yeah, in here. I'm, I'm starting to get some gray in the beard. Uh, speaking of 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 getting old, I mentioned that uh, I'm ready to backpack through Europe with three children. My family. Yeah, that's good. This is exciting news. My family is going to be traveling, and when I say my family, I say I mean my wife and my three children. I'm going to be traveling to Germany next uh, next May. This I'm just thinking about Ben. Like, oh, he's going to love it. Ben is going to, this is like going to be like transformative. Like he's, this is just going to anchor him like in. Well, we're going, we're reformed going to, theology. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to Wittenberg for sure. We're thinking about going to yeah. the diet of worms, you know, where they had the diet of worms. So where they eat the, worms. No, worms. The, uh, the city the of, diet worms. of worms. They obviously but, didn't read but, the Bible. But, but the reason, the reason that we're going is because 20 years ago, I was living on a kibbutz in Israel and uh, met some lifelong friends that I haven't seen since I lived in Israel. And all of them said, let's have a reunion and let's have it in uh, Berlin, Germany. And I and said, not in Israel. <laughs> well, in all fairness, we talked about doing it in Israel, but the logistics of trying to get everyone to, I mean, you talk at least in Germany. You have Swedes who are close to Germany. You have people yeah, from yeah. Denmark. Logistically. And, you know, you can set up and plan a lot more. Caleb, I, mean, I have a question we're about We're talking the 60 tw- people, but yeah, keep going. This is awesome, too, because you've got, like you were sharing with me uh, off the show earlier, you've got you've got kids now, and, and some of your your uh, kibbutz buddies also now have kids, and so this is going to be really great. Almost but all back, of them, yeah. Rewind that on this idea of looking back. Mm-hmm. This was you were in Israel along the time where there was a certain prophecy club uh, teacher touring the country, telling people that Messiah was coming back. Michael that, Rude that yeah. fall. Michael Rude, yeah. and I I saw him three different times up here in the like in Seattle and Portland and Spokane. Yeah, and came. I think and and I think I attended his daughter's wedding or something like the pro- that the prophecy was that uh his prophecy this was is like that, 98 99 is when he was really pushing yeah, he, this he, he said that uh, everything was going to change the tribulation was going to begin on 9 9 so september 9th 1999 was that and that was that yom kippur that year or something, something there was like something that. with there was with something biblical like feasts 
I want to and, say, and he had a he had a big website. I mean, this was a big production, uh, internet stuff, seventh seventh millennium or whatever. Yeah, him and his daughter and a couple of uh, people, a couple of people that had followed him to Israel, and in particular, there's this one lady. I was staying at a hostel, uh, a youth hostel at the time in in uh, the old city of Jerusalem. <clears throat> there was an older lady. She was from Texas. She had sold everything. She sold her house. She sold all of her possessions. All she had was a suitcase because she was convinced by Michael Rood that on nine nine ninety nine, essentially the world was going to be in Armageddon. And uh, when it didn't happen, I mean, she was it, 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 she was devastated because she didn't know what she was going to do. She had sold everything. She didn't think she was going back to Texas. She didn't even have a plane ticket back to Texas. It was uh, twenty. That was so. So just so people know, you know, a lot of people to the messianic movement are newer than 20 years. So they, so that they don't know the, the, the enthusiasm leading yeah. up to that, yeah. the, the teaching, the going, the old, I don't even think the prophecy club exists anymore, but it was a, at one point it was an organization of people, literally it was called the prophecy club and you'd pay your membership or whatever. And they would bring, they would cycle people through the local of venues to, to sell their books and teach their, right. You know, sniff their glue or whatever. And <laughs> oh, wow. And Rob went there. Hang on just a second. I, no, have, I, know. That, I have that sound clip. Don't, don't I? Oh, yeah, here it is. If you want to add glitter to that glue you're sniffing, that's fine. But don't dump your wackadoo all over us. Okay, keep going. Sorry. But I was naive at that point. I didn't quit a job or anything. I, what I realized is this is whacked. I need to learn Hebrew. That's that's where I was. Uh, I was like, this is crazy. There, there's, there's so much puffed up hoopla and sensationalism. And what's strange is I look at today, I get on the internet today, and it's like that has not changed at all. Some of the names are the same. Some of the names have changed. There's Dude, new people. Somebody, our, but, it's, our, but the wackadoo is no less present. A, our good friend, uh, David Wilbur, sent me a video. Apparently, Michael Rood and Nehemia Gordon got together this past month in August and put together a, a whole video on one on why John 6, uh, 4 shouldn't be in our Bibles. Now, Rood's been pushing this forever. He's wrong. The funny thing is, is I, I can only watch about a minute and a half of it. Oh, I, I have no patience for it's, it. It's, it's so nonsense. You know, he's it actually there, makes you dumber. Well, he's sitting there with his I, I, he's sitting there with his Nestle lawn, and he's saying, "Oh, it took me twenty years to figure out how to read this thing." He doesn't know how to read it because he says that it says something that it's that it doesn't say. Yeah. He, he literally does not understand how to read that thing, and he, and he's basing all this stuff off of his Nestle lawn. It's it's oh, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, Clearly, and, and, I'm not here today as a fact witness. Anyway. Uh, okay well uh, all this to say that all this to say that the nonsense is still going on right some some youtube videos make you dumber oh do i still okay i'm sorry they make they they actually put up obstacles to clear thinking those and you want to avoid those i don't i don't you know here here's the problem though and maybe this is my you know i'm Maybe I'm becoming hardened towards this, but the people who who listen to this stuff and and I just have no patience for it. Yeah. Why would you it, it, Why like, would you go listen to it such kills nonsense? brain cells? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's yeah. It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like the fact that people still send me this stuff. Okay. Like I understand that people are upset by it, and that's fair enough. But why spend the time? 
I cannot remember a time recently in the past, I don't know, five years when I've been on YouTube and all of a sudden Michael Rude pops up in the sidebar and I think to myself, yeah, I'm going to go watch that. <laughs> I mean, like, the same thing with Benny Hinn. I don't, you know, I don't like see oh. Benny Hinn and think, oh yeah, I'm going to watch that. Like, I don't understand why people are anyway. Okay. Let's get into real. Let's get into real topics, guys. Here we go. Um, now we had a conversation last week about, and it was kind of in passing. And one of the reasons it was kind of in passing is because I'm, I'm preparing all this, uh, uh, this specific topic. I'm preparing a little bit, and it's only about a page long, but for my discussion in Ontario, because uh, Rob, myself, and then my father, Tim Hegg, we're all going to Ontario in, in September. So um, with that said, may, you know, I could go much more in d- depth with this, and I could probably just sit and read my notes, but that, that wouldn't be fun. So let's just talk about it. Tanner sent us this message. Caleb, the point you made about praying in Yeshua's name is interesting. Are you saying that ending a prayer with in Yeshua's name is to claim to be praying with his authority? Okay, first of all, when he says in John, when Yeshua says in John, anything that is asked in my name will be given. I'm paraphrasing. The question is, was he giving a formula to pe- for people to end their prayers? And the answer is no. I don't think he was. What does it mean to be in the name of someone? Well, we're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you look at reference, just do a word search of name, like what it means to be in the name or, you know, the name of yod heh It doesn't mean like you have this formula of of prayer like and i pray these things in the name of of yeshua in the name of jesus and all of a or sudden that, or, or let alone that you have to say it right the name right now exactly too. that's not what it means yeah. at all it means to be uh it means to be in uh a representative essentially of this person in other words when i get baptized into the name of jesus what am i doing i'm saying i don't have a life anymore my life is not my own but Christ lives in me. In other words, I am given fully, totally, 100% to Christ. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with finishing, and I do this. I grew up praying in the name of Jesus, you know, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus. It's, I mean, it's kind of like I said last week, it's kind of like saying, I'm done with my prayer. There's a formulaic uh, right. kind of but, piece to it, yeah. But ultimately, that's not what Yeshua is, is asking us to do when he says, pray in my name. It means pray in the fullness yeah, that's of who not, I am. That's not, that's not sprinkle, magic sprinkle dust. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. Okay, he goes on. I hadn't ever looked at it like this before. When I pray in his name, I believe I'm generally intending things along the lines of a miniature statement of faith, a reminder of my relationship to him as my intercessor, a means to refocus at the end of my prayer by ending with a statement glorifying him and exalting him, as preeminent, or perhaps expressing a desire for my prayer to be in alignment with his will. Okay, now this last point is, I think, exactly what Yeshua is talking about. When we pray in his name, it means that we align with him, not that he aligns with us or that we're asking him to do something. It means when we pray in the name of Jesus, it means we are praying that whatever his will, we are servants, so we will carry out his will. 
So this is what my point was, was that if we're praying things that are outside the will of the Father, and we're saying in the name of Jesus, in other words, if we believe that we are in doing this with his authority, then we need to make sure that what we're praying lines up with his will. There's a, I, I, I grew up in the church. There was a man who, uh, who was uh, not being faithful to his wife. He left uh, his, his wife for another woman. And he told the elders at the church, we've been praying that the Lord will guide us in how to move forward. Talking about him and the woman that he had left his wife for. Because the elders were trying to get him back, you know, bring him out of the sin. And uh, what a contradiction in statement. I'm, I'm sinning, but I'm praying, no doubt in the name of Jesus, that he will guide me in my sin. That's not how this works. That's my point. So Tanner, Tanner goes on, I suppose I also see it as a means of letting those I'm praying with know that my faith is in Yeshua as opposed to unbelievers who still attempt to, to pray to God. I would imagine that most of the people I pray with regularly would fall under one of these categories. Would you say that praying in Yeshua's name is not a good way of expressing those thoughts and desires? No, I think what you're doing is fine. I, yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I think it, it, I think it's fine. Yeah. He goes on, would you say that ending prayer in his name is different than preaching or teaching in his name? No. I think our lives are given to his name. We are Great email. That's yeah. Tanner. Yeah. Yeah. Very he I think I think Tanner has demonstrated just through that email that he's equipped to talk about this with people. You Absolutely. Know, uh, and and touch on what it is and what it isn't. Um good on you, man. But I want to bring up this passage, Acts 19, 13 through 20. Because this kind of this is the passage that I looked at and kind of shaped some of these say ideas. It, say it again. Caleb. It's Acts 19, 13 through 20. I'm reading out of the ESV. Or I'm sorry, the NASB. But also, some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had in the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of one Sceva a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? In other words, these men were just saying that they were in the name of Jesus. By, they were, by they were, Jesus, yeah. They or... were using this as a almost as a magic spell, right, to try. And the demon said, no, not a chance. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them uh, all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices, and many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. So it doesn't say that they ever overpowered these demons. But what it shows is, what does it mean to be in the name? Just because you say it 
Just because you say that you're in the name of Jesus or that you're praying in the name of Jesus doesn't necessarily mean you are. Living out faith truly as the Bible describes it, that is in servitude and obedience to Christ, is what it means to be in his name. Thoughts? Mm, good stuff. All right. Uh, the only other thought, I think we touched upon this last week maybe, was just one of the commandments, you know, one of the ten is don't take my name in vain, right? And so what does that mean to take the name? So, well, does it mean to swear an oath by God's name? Or is it, it could it also mean this point, this point of don't, don't just, don't take lightly that you are proclaiming to be one who worships me, right? One who worships the Father. I don't, don't know why, that, but that that reminded me of do not don't call do not call unclean what I have made clean. Yeah, <laughs> right. Peter's vision in in uh, Acts ten. In other words, there's a there's a the, the full gravity of what we're talking about when we. I mean, the very fact that we're we're talking talking about scripture and we're we're presuming to be on the internet through a media and saying this is what scripture means this is what it doesn't mean you know Caleb you and I don't take that lightly at all that's like there's a, there's a, a a healthy measure of fear and trembling before the holy creator of all things you know that that we're accountable to and that's why it says teachers are brought to a greater account Right. Um, so I should mention, Christina just entered the chat room. Christina, thank you for the offer to buy us Costi uh, Hinn's book. However, uh, we purchased two copies, so I will have one and Rob will have one. I've got uh, one on the way. I'm, a, I'm a looking forward to reading it. Jonathan uh, says, I don't subscribe to Michael Rood, but just found a video where it appears he is trying to say he is not a false prophet because he says he gives his own calculations and doesn't say they're from yod heh -Hey. Yeah, he did that after the 1999, and then he recalculated and gave like a 2000 or 2001 prophecy as well. When all that went away, he had a website that was huge, and he basically just shut down the website. He laid low for a little while, and... Uh, yeah, uh, now he comes back and he's very careful to, you know, it's been long enough. He's, he's you know, it's kind of like... Uh, well, people have short memories or it's exactly. just new people. It's just new people. He's right. trying to, yeah. Yep, exactly. But you know what? Some of us were there. Some of us remember. Some of us remember all of that. Yeah, there ain't, there ain't no uh, uh, unremembering those you things. You can wash the internet, but you can't... It's harder these days than it was back then. You can watch the internet, but you can't watch people's minds. Is that what I think it is? Are you drinking out of what I think it is? This is a princess bride. Yes, cup. we have a we have a princess bride clip. So on on right on that side, there's that. I don't know if you can see. Uh, hang on, let me. Pull yeah, up. yeah. So and then on the other side, it's this is them in the uh, this is them in the farm. Yeah. Right, and then if you turn it around, this is them at the end. At you the know. end. <laughs> when he's the masked man. Anyway. All right. Uh, let's go on. Socrates. Aristotle. You only think I guess wrong. This is so funny. Okay. Let's keep going. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the same guy from Toy Story who does the T-Rex. The I'm a dinosaur. 
Death Orb. He's like, I can't press, I can't move and press fire at the same time. <laughs> What's the video uh, okay. okay. Okay, let's We're keep going. Fun. Dispensationalism. Okay. <laughs> We've talked about just actually, I think our first or maybe second show ever, 001 or 002, was uh, on dispensationalism. Um, but this is a little bit different. Okay, so last time we started to talk about dispensationalism and dispensations. And the reason why is because I have this uh, sneaking suspicion that the idea of modern Christianity, and when I say modern Christianity, I'm lumping everybody in, in together. Um, you know, modern Prot- Protestantism as a general blanket for, um, you know, the wider church today, would I think that even though we don't realize it, we still have this understanding that was taught to us, maybe subtly, in the church, that the Holy Spirit is is a different essential. I don't know how to put this forward except for to say is a different person now, after the New Testament era, than before the New Testament era. In other words, we see like the idea, I think, and I mean, I could be totally off on this, but the thought that I have is you have people think of like the Holy Spirit's work before the New Testament era as being like in the pillar of fire, in the cloud of smoke, you know, in the burning bush, uh, you know, these kind of things, right? the glory that filled the temple. This is how people think of the, of the Holy Spirit before, you know, the, the spirit that hovered over the water in Genesis 1. These are the kind of ways that the Holy Spirit worked before the New Testament era. And then the idea, I think, comes around that, boom, the New Testament era hits, and there's this complete change in the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to stop and quickly say, I agree that the function and work of the Holy Spirit does have a different element after the New Testament era, after uh, Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit is given, right? And this is prophesied by Yeshua. When the Holy Spirit is given, the helper, the paraclete that would come, um, there is a there is a new and or expanded function of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so please don't hear me say that there's not. But with that said, uh, I think that th- that different function or uh, expanded function is not what people think it is. I think that it's been grossly misunderstood. And I think a a bit of it comes from dispensationalism. And we'll talk about that more in a few minutes. For now, let's go to, this was, I actually didn't put in who wrote this and I apologize. They say regarding dispensations, I kind of get the view that you guys take at this point in my studies, I don't agree or disagree. Okay, and I think what they mean by our point, what my point would be on dispensationalism is that there's no such thing taught in the Bible. Um, when we think of modern day dispensationalism, and for those who don't know dispens- what dispensationalism is, let's stop for a few seconds and I'll try to make this quick. What dispensationalism says is that God works with different people in different times, and so they called that different time period a dispensation. So you would have a dispensation from Adam <clears throat> to, I, I don't know when the first dispensation is, I think it's Adam to Moses or something like that, it might be to Noah, and then Noah to Moses, and you have this, 
this working of God with these people. Then all of a sudden God says, okay, hang on, we're going to change dispensations, the time changes, and now he gives the law of Moses, and he's working with Israel, and he has these covenants with Israel. And this dispensation goes all the way up to Christ. Christ dies on the cross, and what God does is he takes Israel as the chosen people. He says, okay, well, I'm going to take you, I'm going to put you up on the shelf here, and he puts Israel up on the shelf, and he's not going to worry about them, they're up on the shelf. Now he's working with the church during what is called the church age or the church dispensation. And this is a dispensation of grace, a time of grace. And what's going to happen is he's going to work with the church all the way up until the rapture happens, according to dispensational theology. And he is then going to rapture all of the Christians away. And these people are going to be in paradise or wherever, uh, you know, after the rapture. God will then turn, take Israel, pull it down off the shelf put it here, and after the rapture of the people, this will be Israel's time again in the end time dispensation. So this is a very, very, very quick and general overview, and I'm sure dispensationalists would say you've misrepresented us somehow, but that's the basic workings of dispensationalism as I understand them. One of the good points, let's let's do a, a, a compliment sandwich here, one of the good points of dispensationalism is that they the reason that dispensationalism dispensationalism came about is because people said how do we reconcile the idea that God's people are is Israel the nation of Israel but then all of a sudden we see God seem to work with the church and so how do we reconcile this and dispens- yeah 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 the 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 Sunday keeping pork eating Bible right. believer right right Right. I, and it's like I, I don't. Obviously, the Bible doesn't want me to change my Sunday worship to something else. Obviously, it's okay for me to be eating this pork, but his but his word says something different. Right. Therefore, how do I explain this? Exactly. Yeah. And so, basically, what you have. uh Oh, am I behind here? Basically, what you have is you have. Th- dispensationalists wanting to be able to say that Israel is God's people, being able to look at something like the end of Ezekiel, where you have another temple that is built and sacrifices going on. What do they do? They say, well, okay, that will happen. It will be a temple and there will be sacrifices again, but it won't be for the church. The church is now raptured out. That The people who believe in Christ, their sacrifice is already done. But the but Israel is going to have to be worked with again. So now they're they're going to be back under this law, and this is how dispensationalism basically works. So that back to the the good of it, I don't believe in dispensationalism at all. I think it's not biblical. However, the high point of dispensationalism is a realization that that God's covenants to Israel must still stand. Right. Right. That's the. I mean, that's the the main point in dispensationalism. And for that... And that needs to be differentiated from what we would say just pure supersessionalism. Like, in other words, God's done with Israel, you know, and there's people who take that view. You know, it's over with. Israel's done, over with. God's doing a brand new thing. Right. And... Um, and and also uh, differentiated from covenant theology. Now, we've talked about all these different theologies before. But the point is, is that what we hold to is called one law theology. And once again, I think that all of this comes from looking at 
And I don't have a problem with this. Looking at the Bible and say, how do we make it all fit together? You know, covenant theology would say once one covenant comes around, then another, then the former covenant is done away with. So if we're in the New Testament or we're in the New Covenant times, then the Old Covenant is done away with. Old Covenant. I'm putting quote marks around that for anyone who's listening to this. Okay. Um, Let's go to, hang on, where was I here? Okay, so back to the email. At this point in my studies, I don't agree or disagree. I'm kind of learning and unlearning some things, but what about the scriptures that Paul actually mentions the word dispensation? He gives the example of 1 Corinthians 9.17 and Ephesians 1.10. Okay, so... First of all, it needs to be noted that this word dispensation, he's taking this from the Latin, not from the Greek. So they, they're they translating, the Latin is translating a Greek word. But it's the Greek is not using the word that is translated dispensation in, in Greek. It's not using the word as a, a necessarily different time period. Did we... Right, right. And the way to do that, that's where we get our word economy, actually, in English. It comes from uh, oikonomia in Greek. Uh, And it occurs in the gospel. It's helpful to go to Luke 16 because it's used there as a verb and a noun. And it's talking about the manager who, you know, the master hears a report that the manager has been mishandling his his trust. And he says, give an account. He calls him, give me an account for your management. And he's like, oh no, what am I going to do? I'm going to get kicked out here. And he goes and I'm totally paraphrasing, but he says, how much he goes to each of these accounts says, how much do you owe my master? Oh, 80, you know, tell you what, write down 50, you know, and he, he does this and then he comes back and it says that the master sees that he's, that he's showed this shrewd, you know, he's kind of impressed. Um, and in any event, that, but the, the term there is the, is the word for management, the, ta- the specific charge given by the master to one of his servants. In other words, I'm going to give, I'm making you, it'd be like, let's say Caleb's son gets old enough, he learns to push a lawnmower, Right. So Caleb could say, okay, Ben, your charge is every week, I want this lawn to be cut, and I'll show you how to do it. So he shows him how to do it. So it's not a matter of Ben not knowing how to do it. It's, ben knows how to do it, but then is given the responsibility for keeping the grass cut and keeping the bin full or, or you know, or putting the grass wherever. It could be that simple. So that is, would be the, uh, an example of a, a koinomia. Right. Um, It's a charge. It's a, but when Paul's using it, Paul's using it as obviously something of, of high, high uh, urgency and, and biggest, uh, pardon me, the biggest framework for everything he does in life, which is proclaiming the truth of the gospel of what has happened now. It, with the with the coming of Yeshua in the flesh, with his teaching, death, resurrection, ascension, Paul sees himself as a commissioned um, servant. 
and it's and that with a very specific task. And that's what he's talking about here. That's uh, to call it dispensation doesn't really it doesn't help me in the way I learned English, you know. Um, so I don't know. Is that helpful? Yes. But but hang on just a sec. People are hung up <laughs> and rightly so uh, uh-huh. in the chat room on this word Israel. And this is there's been some really, really great points made. In other words, dispensationalism sees Israel and the church as separate. Now, um, there's been a lot of discussion. I mean, there's been full books written on who is Israel. And there's different elements to it, right? Israel is seen as a bloodline and a nation within Scripture. It's also seen as the people of God in Scripture, right? Uh, in, in Romans 11, Paul talks about the olive branch. He talks about the root, okay? He talks about branches being broken off and, and branches grafted in. I think he's talking about Israel. Um, I know that that's debated, but I think he's talking about Israel. So the idea that uh, a someone who is not naturally born into Israel can be grafted into Israel. I think that that's what he's putting forward there. When I talk about Israel, yeah, and and okay, hang on, just a sec. Back to that Romans eleven uh, passage. This is where we get the idea. And when I say we, I'm talking about myself, my father Tim Hag, Rob, Ariel Berkowitz. Uh, when we talk about this kind of theology, what we talk about is it's not replacement theology. Rather, it's enlargement theology. God never does away with the people of Israel. But if we take the people of Israel as a nation and a bloodline, and then we take faith, okay, and put it into the mix, then Israel is enlarged by the ingathering of the Gentiles by coming to Christ. Right. Right. So this is what we mean by enlargement theology. He never does away with Israel. He never does away with the covenants for Israel. However, with all of that said now, let's also say that Israel as a nation today, not as the spiritual people of God, but as a nation today is not a believing nation. So when we say, oh, the you know, when you become a Christian, you don't all of a sudden have citizenship in Israel or anything like that. Israel is a nation and God There's a is, state. Yeah, the yeah. state of Israel. Yeah, that's and God, and God and God is going to work with them, right? And at some point, we will be able to, when when Paul says, I think that this is key too. I I know I'm kind of off on a rabbit trail here, but I think it's key when he says, "Thus all Israel will be saved." What does that mean? Does it mean that everyone who is a Jew or has Jewish blood or is a citizen of Israel is going to be saved? I don't believe so. Faith faith in Jesus Christ, faith in Yeshua the Messiah is what gives us our salvation and makes us uh, uh, makes us uh, co uh, uh, fellow citizens, right? He talks right, about this right, in Ephesians. Right, yeah. So there's 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 uh, Muslims that are citizens of the state of Israel, right? I mean, you don't have um, and there's Jews that are not citizens of the state of Israel. But the point is, is that there. I don't think that when he says. Thus, all Israel will be saved. I don't think he means that bloodline-wise. And th- there have been some who think that this means everyone, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you have Jewish blood, you're saved. No, no, no. Very, very, and this certainly does not line up with what the scriptures say. Or that you need to listen to a Jewish teacher. Exactly. The point is... <laughs> that is, that somehow qualifies them. Right. The point is, is that as we can look at the nation of Israel right now, that is the physical nation that is occupying the land of Israel currently and has a government there, 
We can look at them and say, right now, they are not a believing nation. There will be a time when we look at Israel as the nation and say, they believe in Yeshua, and as a whole, Israel is saved. Right. So we have an S. Our definition of Israel, you could say, has an eschatological aspect to it, in that we, because we are called, and this is back to the Romans 11, why does he make this point about branches pulling, being put back on, other branches coming in, is to, is we're sowing in hope. Right. We're, our, our, our posture in this world towards the gospel and towards the rest of the world, with respect to the gospel, is sowing in, in the hope that there will be a harvest, that there will be, that faith will uh, be increased. But God is the one who gives the increase. God's right. the one that, so, but if I call up a, a, the Chabad rabbi and say, who's Israel? I'm asking him to, to make a judgment right now. That, and that, can he make a judgment right now that is true for all time? No, he's not going to, and if I call someone else who's of a different fragment of the Jewish world and ask them to define Israel, they're going to give me a different. So right. it's not a judgment that we make right now. Right. It is a eschatological hope that, and, and confidence that, that in God's timing, what that final, the final look of the tree, because right now the way Paul teaches us with Romans 11 is that that tree over time looks different depending on when you look at it. Someone might have seen the tree. Uh, let's say they were using that tree metaphor while Saul of Tarsus was still kicking against, you know, uh, battling against the ecclesia. He would look, he would have looked like a branch that was on the ground that was not attached. But then once he confesses Yeshua is born again and he's all on fire for, yeah, for grafted, Yeshua, grafted now, now the yeah. tree looks different. Right. Paul's now uh, part of that tree. Okay, so in the same way, he's using that to leverage, say, look, what that tree looks like at, at the day of judgment or however we think at the eschatological viewpoint of that tree, only God knows. But we can be confident that it will look exactly, perfectly according to his will and that the branches that are part of that tree are going to be genuinely anchored into the roots by faith. And that those branches that are not part of that tree don't want any part of the tree. Right. Yep. It's going to be uh, it's going to be pure, pure, true, unbiased judgment. Will will be a part of 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 the definition of that tree, and that will be that expanded Israel because it'll be because the promised Abraham guarantees it that it's going to be physical offspring from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And those of the families of the world that are not physical offspring, that somehow it's both of these together and there's shalom in one tree. Right. Um, this person ends their email with um, the idea of, oh, actually, they end their email this way. Also, for future reference, are there other, is there another way to better uh, or better preferred means I can ask personal questions? That I have. Yes, there is. Everyone should note that you can get a hold of us by writing emails. I just put that uh, email address. Let's see what this is. This is our uh, comment line 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. But uh, if you want to write in-depth emails about things, you can send them to see how you I'm logging in. Okay. Um, the um, 
Let's go back to somebody else. Lewis writes in, says, question in Deuteronomy 5.3, it says, and he's paraphrasing, that the covenant that Israel received at Sinai wasn't known to the fathers. So my question is, did all the obligations that Israel received from God at Sinai apply to those from Adam to Abraham before that covenant was instituted? Enjoy your videos. Um, <clears throat> this is something that we call re uh, progressive revelation, right? Progressive revelation. So for instance, and actually, I'm, I, my brain is very wrapped around this uh, this theological truth right now because I'm looking at the uh, the Trinity and asking the question: Is the Trinity biblical? So the question is: Would God uh, manifest Him or uh, give us the understanding of not manifestation? That's a horrible word to use, but the truth of who He is—that is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit—before um, the coming of Christ. If if that was really the case, why wouldn't He let us know until? until the New Testament era. And I'm putting quote marks around New Testament era. And um, somebody said, Rob? <laughs> um, <clears throat> and so anyway, the idea of progressive revelation. Let's read uh, Deuteronomy 5.3. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. Okay. I take this differently than to understand the Torah itself as the commandments. We know, for instance, that there was... God had rules, right? God had laws. In other words, he, he floods the entire earth because of the wickedness of man. Well, if there's no Torah, how do they know what the wickedness is? Well, it seems as though God had uh, told people at least that there was such thing as sexual immorality, death, uh, killing people was, was obviously wrong. Um, and we think from, we've done a show on this before, but we think from Noah's uh, understanding of clean and unclean animals, there was at least the idea of sacrificial clean and unclean and um, other things, right? There, it just seems as though there was clearly some laws before, before the giving of the Torah. So it, when the Torah comes, that is all of a sudden it's written down. Everybody knows exactly what the word of the Lord is. There's no, we have no question about that. However, Deuteronomy 5.3, I think is saying something different. Do you, I don't want to steal your thunder because you're the one who who uh, said it first yesterday when we were off air. Uh, do you want to give your understanding of what Deuteronomy 5.3 means? Deuteronomy, well, the, what, back to the context. So the context is, this is, Deuteronomy is different than the other books of the Torah, right? Because this is Moses speaking to Israel, reiterating who they are, what is the promise, etc., the end of the 40 years in the wilderness before they're going to go into the land. It's, it's on the, uh, and of course, Moshe is not going in, right. but he repeatedly ties down what is happening to Israel now as a nation that it's not them. It's not for themselves. It's not because they were great. It's not because of their own righteousness. This is all in, in, you know, for those who are in the one year cycle of the Torah reading, this is where we are right now. The first several chapters of Deuteronomy, he could, could repeatedly says, it's not because of you, it's because of his the oath he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, but then the point is here is why here does it say that this, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but the specific, it's, it's the word breed, covenant, that he didn't make it with the fathers. Well, he's, he's trying to show that there is a, a fulfillment here of, of the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who Abraham knew this was going to be the case. He was told, 
you're you're out, you're going you know you're going to die in peace so many generations down they're going to be enslaved i'm going to bring them back to this land right and and abraham trusted god in that yeah I, and that I, and that that it's his land so that's, but but yeah, at, but at exactly. a time and hebrews 11 says this that abraham isaac and jacob lived as strangers in a strange land in other words, they knew that it was their land, but they didn't go around. It, it wasn't for them. They weren't to trying go around to take it, right? Telling people, "Yeah, this is our land. This is our land. I'm king now." Abraham never went around and said, "I'm the king." It's no, it's the even bl- though he knew it his land, he still bought. He still paid for Machpelah, right? The 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 cave, the piece of land to bury Sarah. He still it, but. God had already told him it was his land. How can we how can we rationalize that? How do we understand Abraham's told this is his land, but then he's going to go pay for it to somebody? The idea is God gave said I'm going to do something and Abraham knew it was true, behaved as if it was true, even though he didn't see all the detail. So let me break this down real quick. What I what I believe and what I hear you saying as well is that this is in regards to possessing the land. In other words, the the blessing of the covenant. Not with your fathers did, uh, did the Lord make this covenant. In other words, Abraham wandered around in a tent. He didn't get to he didn't get to build a, a you know a, a log cabin <laughs> in the land. He was a wanderer. So was Isaac. So was Jacob. And, and there was no central uh, central place of worship. Right. Exactly. There was no Mishkan. There was no. <clears throat> there was no definition. Okay. So what we have with the Torah is, it's Paul writes this. Why then was the Torah added? For the sake of defining transgressions. Right. We already know by God's own voice in in Genesis it says that He kept all my Torah, all my commandments, all my statutes. And it also says that he trusted God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Right. And that's a mystery. How is it that, that God did not need to tell Abraham what was sin and what wasn't? But when it comes to the nation, defining a nation that is going to have tribal inheritance and land, there's going to be a, a the Levitical priesthood who are not going to have an inheritance of the land, but they are going to uh, teach Torah, teach God's word to the nation. You have you have the logistical problem of how are the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in this great multitude? How are they going to be taught God's will? And that's that's what this covenant from Horeb is the is the beginning of, is the revelation of God's will in a in a way that will be articulated to an entire nation, but where sin will be defined. Call uh, the call for repentance goes out. Someone sins. They come to the priest. They repent. The priest says, "Okay, you're forgiven. Here's what you got to do. You know, you got before you're able to come back and worship in the sanctuary. You you owe whatever procedure you know the Torah prescribes, etc. Um, this this is the, the 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 covenant that is shaping the nation of of Israel, of God's people, as they come, they receive it in the wilderness. It's already in the wilderness, but obviously some of the things they can't do until they're in the land. And ultimately, in Deuteronomy, it says it several times, I think it might be 20 or even 40 times, that 
the place that the Lord will choose to to cause His name to dwell. Because remember, Jer- Jerusalem's never mentioned in the in the Torah, but it's mentioned as the place that God's going to show, show right. which is an echo of Genesis twenty two. You know, oh, yeah. where He says, I, "To the place I will show you," and it ends up being. We know that Solomon built the temple at the same site of Moriah, where where Abraham had offered Isaac, and that that was that was part of the consciousness of the chronicler the, right. who, who wrote Chronicles says it was on this, the same hill of, of Mount Moriah. And so they understood Abraham's offering of Isaac, or the, it was as good as offered as a burnt offering to be the same expression of faith that was presupposed in the building of, of the, the temple. And, 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 just as God reckoned it to Abraham that he had offered Isaac, even though he didn't in the end, his heart was as if he did. In the same way, with the build, with the finishing of Solomon's temple, the, the kavod, the glory of God, filled the, the temple, and the priests couldn't even stand. They couldn't even enter in there. Um, and so I, I know I'm kind of going all over the place here. But uh, there is... I guess you could say it, in Abraham's time, it was not appropriate for Abraham to build the Ark of the Covenant, <laughs> right? Um, right? Abraham wouldn't wouldn't have built the Ark of the Covenant or okay. built the Mishkan. Well, let's let, okay. Well, let's actually move this conversation a little bit over to our, the final thing that I want to touch on, which is the idea of of a dispensation of the Holy Spirit. No. There's a whole Hebrew conversation going on here. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I was talking about with the uh, with people in there. I oh. said that the vav could be silent, and somebody said, "How can it be silent?" Now, what I was referring to was the idea of a cholam vav. In other words, it's not the vav itself that that it makes the sound. It's the it's the vowel that goes along with it, or the, the right because because the right because in, in a, you could just have a cholam without a a vav being written. Right. And and you're not going to miss the vav, yeah. Right. So th- so in that case, that's when the vav becomes silent. That was my point, and uh, and Joshua rightly said I wasn't thinking of it like that. Most people don't think of it like that. That's just the way my brain works. Is that I think of the vav being able to be silent, and that the cholam is what really makes the sound in those ooh ah or oh ooh instances. Sorry for everyone who's listening to this and has no clue what we're talking about. So, um. Last week, I I, uh, I referenced a uh, debate that w- was done between I don't even know who it was done be- between. I know David Wilbur was on the side of saying that first Enoch was is not supposed to be in our canon. Totally and completely agree with with uh, David's point of view on this. And honestly, this shows the depravity of the Christian Church right now, or what? And I use that in the most Catholic of I'm putting quote marks around Catholic universal. Maybe we should say Church. Um, the idea that there are believers who, for some reason, have got it into their heads that, that Enoch uh, should first Enoch should be part of the canon is beyond ridiculous, and it shows that that people have a low view of of scripture. Right. They don't have a high view of scripture, but I would the, say a low view of Torah. Right. Too specifically, like if they want to say, "Well, what scripture?" You know. But basically, um, these comments, you know, I looked at some of these comments. I mentioned some of them. I'll read the same one I read last week, and then I'll, I'll read a couple more of these comments. Listen to, to, to what these comments say, though, and how I think that people believe uh, in the Holy Spirit as 
different in different dispensations. These are are these comments from last week's show? No, these are comments from uh, this this debate that Wilbur had with some oh, other gotcha, group. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Now keep in mind that, that Wilbur did this debate on a YouTube channel that fully believe you know the the moderator comes on seems like a super nice guy but you know he's got a green screen. And on his green screen, he has behind him, like, you know, it's black with like a candle next to a bunch of Et Sefer Bibles and whatnot. So he's already <laughs> set up kind of, you know, where where he's coming from. Um, anyway, uh, you can tell that the comments are predominantly from people who agree with the channel that, that the debate was on. This person says, nice discussion, but the agency who claims to have the authority to canonize holy books is illegitimate in my eyes. We talked about this last week. The Catholic Church is not the authority the Holy Spirit is, and as the book of Enoch states, his writings were sealed until a remote generation, which is ours. Okay, the idea, first of all, it needs to be mentioned that the idea that the Holy Spirit would inspire something and then lie, it says that it's written by Enoch. Clearly, the book is not written by Enoch. So are we saying that the Holy Spirit lies? Come on, I mean, where's the logic in this? Anyway, not the point. So already we have this hint uh, from this one comment, and I, I made comments about this idea that the, uh, you know the canonization happened by uh, the Catholic Church and all these kind of things. Anyway, the idea that is already planted within this comment of the Holy Spirit guides us. Another comment, and this is at the end of their comment, they wrote half of a book uh, and, and posted in a YouTube comment. Anyway, they said, is the book of Enoch inspired? If it is is what we have the right, complete, uncorrupted text. Is any of our modern-day collection of scriptures inspired? I mean, yes. What is? I, I can't believe that believers have such a low view of, of God's word. Is it right, complete, uncorrupted? Just as we do not, uh, just as we do for our modern-day collection of scriptures, we must rely on the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. So what it sounds to me like this person has done is said, Scripture, bad. Put that over here. The Holy Spirit leads us. This is through feeling and through, you know, worship. Well, where do they get the idea, where do they get this thought that the Holy Spirit will lead us to all truth? That's from the Gospel of John, right? Yeah, I could, I mean, uh, yeah, we could also go probably so he's, is to... He, is, if he affirms that that's true... Is he affirming <laughs> yeah. that John is part of the canon? Right. Well, he says anything that his final comment, anything that prophesies Jesus, the true Messiah, is considered inspired. That's what my research has revealed. Wait a minute. Say, say it one more time. Anything please. that prophesies Jesus, the true Messiah, is considered inspired. That's what my research has revealed. Okay. So Michael Rood uh, preaching that Jesus was going to come back in 1999, was, was he inspired? I. I I think that he would say no because Jesus didn't come back then. But He's, we didn't know that before. Right. When he was going around preaching that, no one knew. So he goes so on. When, his his final end comment is, in my humble opinion, this was a fruitless debate for this individual. He pulls out scholars as if he was a Muslim. I don't listen to what men say. Only the Holy Spirit when it comes to Scripture, and that's why I read the book of Enoch. So basically what you have is this idea that the Holy Spirit— that, that no man can tell me anything right? Because I, because I sprinkle Holy Spirit language on my own thought process. Therefore, I, never, I will never receive correction from man. Right? Yeah. That's what I'm hearing him say. But I, I you mean, can't correct me. You're just a man. Do, do we the think, Holy Spirit will have to correct me. Do, I mean, it seems to me like there are people in the church today who, who say, oh, I'm just led by the Holy Spirit, and I think these comments prove it. The, the, the Bible, well, we can kind of take or leave that. 
the Holy Spirit is what guides me. Well, this is not how it was beforehand, certainly. The Torah and the writings were the foundation for Yeshua and the, and the people of, of that time. So it's almost like there's been this change. All of a sudden, we're led by the Holy Spirit, not by the letter of the law, right? But the problem is, is that the Holy Spirit worked in terms of leading people in the exact same way before Christ came as he does now. The difference between uh, the Holy Spirit's work after the coming of Christ and before the coming of Christ is purely evangelical. What that means is that it's purely in regards to the message of the gospel be going to the nations. Yeshua says, I have come only for the lost sheep of Israel. He also says, lo, I am with you always, uh, even to the end of the age. How is he with us always? By his spirit, which the scriptures tell us is the Holy Spirit. So the idea is, is that once Yeshua goes back, now the Holy Spirit comes and expands the gospel message, not just to Israel and those who might come to Israel and attach themselves to Israel, but it goes out like wildfire to the nations. And we see this in the book of Acts. Progressive revelation happens also during this time as well. But the point is, is that the Holy Spirit, granted, the idea that the Holy Spirit now empowers people through uh, means to bring to to bring the gospel in powerful ways that it might not have before the coming of Christ, certainly that is different. That is the difference with the work of the Holy Spirit and the expansion of the work of the Holy Spirit after Christ came. But the idea of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that happened beforehand. There's really good papers on this. Walter Kaiser wrote a, a whole paper on this, which you can find on the internet for free. My father did an entire lecture series on this and the idea, you know, did the Holy Spirit indwell believers before the coming of Christ? The answer is absolutely. And we see it in the Tanakh. We see it in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit comes and he indwells believers. And Paul tells us that you're not saved unless you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Well, Abraham was saved by faith. This means that Abraham had to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit or else he wasn't saved. Right. Yeah, that's right. So the point is, is that this idea that is there a difference between before Christ came and after with the work of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. The Holy Spirit empowers us to take the message to the nations, which some might argue has already happened. But in terms of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, as a believer, I'm indwelled with the Holy Spirit in the exact same way that, that uh, Abraham was indwelled by the Holy Spirit in, term, in terms of salvation. I think that that's actually that's a, right. quite a, a controversial topic. I don't know why, though. I think it's simply because of the teaching that, you know, People have been taught one way, and they, they haven't really searched out the scriptures to see. Walter Kaiser nails this one to the wall, though. Okay. Well, it's been fun. It's been a good time. Remember, everyone, that we're taking next week off. Do you want to jump in and say anything about the... Uh, you want to say anything to the people in the chat room? Oh, uh, well, I turned off the chat box, but... Well, that's fine. Yeah, learn, I would say those who are interested in Hebrew... Uh, and and they're dealing with issues of like how do you pronounce this letter or this letter? When you start asking that question, you're upping the bar for the set of skills and competencies required to actually frame the question properly and understand what you're asking and understand the answer. Uh, so I would encourage you if you're asking that kind of question, then it's natural that you've you've got to kind of a, a little sprout there towards learning Hebrew, I would encourage you to, to sign up for Beginning Hebrew this fall at Torah Resource Institute or Beginning local, Greek. 
maybe if there's a local place that in your neighborhood that's teaching Hebrew, but, but make sure you learn from a competent teacher, a teacher that has been, that has a grasp of, of, of Hebrew, not make, not someone who's making up their own meanings. And there's sadly, there's a bunch of people up, out there doing that sort of thing. So Joshua uh, makes this great point. He says, it is uh, controversial, that is the idea of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, because people think that salvation is different in the New Testament and the Old Testament versus the Old Testament it should be. In other words, people think that God saved people differently in the Old Testament than, than the way that he saved right. them in the New Testament. And that's totally false. If that's the case, then there was no need for, for Christ to come and die, which we know obviously is not the case. Um, and Lena says, you guys can't take next week off with a smiley face. You know what? Who knows? Maybe I'll, uh, convince my father to, to jump oh, on with me and, yeah. and we'll, uh, you know what I'd really like to do? I'd really like to, to interview a couple of people. There's a couple of people I'd really like to interview, but obviously I would have to do that when Rob's here because it makes yeah, it so much more fun. We'll yeah. have to see though. All right, guys. Hey, it's been fun. And uh, Shalom, we'll, everybody. we'll talk about uh, a show next week. Also, uh, keep your eyes open for Messiah Matters More. For those who are supporters, we will, uh, I hope, post something within the next couple of days before before Rob goes on vacation. All right. Well, I hope that this conversation has done one thing, at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Well, because Messiah Matters. Okay.